Welcome to The Sisters Will See You Now, hosted by Dr. Keisha and Dr. Maya, two sisters and family medicine doctors. Each episode will shed some light into the world of primary care and answer questions people have for their doctors that they often don't ask during visits. So welcome everyone to our first episode. Happy February. Happy Black History Month. And most of all, happy Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is coming and you should be too. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has lots of questions about sex. What's healthy? What's not? Why does it look like that? Why does it smell like that? Everything you wanted to ask your doctor, but we're too afraid to do so. We're going to talk about it today. So we've broken this episode into a couple different segments, um, but we're going to start with what happens when you come into the doctor's office um, and what we need to know that sometimes patients might find embarrassing um, or might not want to bring up about their sex life. Um, The first thing is that honesty is the best policy. We need you to tell us what's going on in your life. Um, so that we know the best way to assess you and talk about what's going on. I would much rather have you admit to me that you're having sex with 10 people than saying that you're not having sex with anyone and your testing comes back positive. So honesty is always the best policy. Um, And in relation to that, please tell me if that's the reason you come to the visit immediately. So instead of coming in and saying, oh, I have, you know, uh, I'm here to refill my medications and I, I'm not having a lot of stress. And then we spend your whole visit talking about that. And then, oh, by the way, as I'm getting ready to walk out the door, I have this rash or there's this new odor or I'm concerned about this. Bring that up in the beginning so that we can have the same agenda for our visit and everyone leaves feeling like, um, everything that yeah. needs to be addressed has oh, been absolutely. addressed. So if you're going to need to get undressed to answer the question that you have for me, the real question, because I know you're going to come in and tell me you have a headache, but there's the real question. Please tell me that up front. So I'm not walking out the door. Or you're trying to show me something, you know, it's important. I want to give you the appropriate time. So say it up front. And the same is yes. true with your partner, right? So the conversations that you have with us, are probably conversations you need to be having with your partner too. So honesty is good all the way around. All the time. All right. One uh, question that people often wonder if they really need to be honest about with their doctor is, why do you ask me how many sexual partners I've had in the last year? Um, It is an important question and we do want honest answers. We're not here to judge you. I don't really personally mind what the answer is. It has no bearing on, you know, what things are going to be going forward. The reason that we as medical providers need to know the answer to that question is because like everything else, we need to assess your risk for things. So if you have been in a monogamous relationship for several years, I probably don't need to be testing you for sexually transmitted infections. But if you are having uh, multiple partners, or if you're worried that your partner is having multiple partners, then we need to talk about that, what those potential exposures are and what things should be tested for. Sometimes it's a hard question. And do I really care the exact number, whether it's seven or eight, somebody will be like, oh, I can't remember. Ballparks are fine. You know, one versus five versus 10, they all versus Mm -hmm. 20, they all mean different things. Roundabout, you know, 
the big difference is it zero, one, or two. <laughs> once you go past the zero to one, the risks increase. <laughs> once you go past, once you go from one to two, the risk changes. The risk so yes. I really need to know: is it more than one person, or is it just one person? Yes. Um, and then also in that risk assessment, we'll ask the question that can sometimes be uncomfortable. Um, are you sexually active with men, women, or both? Um, and actually real quickly before I even address that question, I'm going to address the sexually active, um, terminology that we as medical professionals use. A lot of people have difficulty interpreting what sexually active means. What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm physically active during sex? Does it mean that I'm having um, insertional sex? Does oral sex count? Those kinds of things. Sexually active means are you having intimate relationships with another person? essentially. That's what sexually active means. And when we ask that question, we're generally talking about since the last time we've seen you. Um, or if it's during your annual f physical in the last year, if it's been 10 years since you had an annual physical in the last 10 years, have you had sexual activity with another person in whatever realm that that could be? Again, that gives us an, uh, a little bit more information about you know what needs to be tested for, what things need to be talked about, what kind of education needs to be brought up during the visit. I actually spend a lot of time during my visits um, trying to educate people on what things mean and going forward yep, and the best absolutely. way for them uh, to care about their health. And, and, you know, Dr. Maya just brought up in terms of, are you sleeping with or having um, sexual relationships with men, women, or both? So that helps to get a better idea of risk assessment, but also in those encounters, um, receiving or giving what positions. And it's not because the doctor is trying to be voyeuristic or get all up in your business. It's really about addressing risk. Um, and so sometimes it doesn't seem like that's something that rolls off the tongue with your doctor that you haven't seen uh, maybe in a year or several years. But really thinking about the doctor is trying to do what's best for your health and knowing those things is really helpful in assessing your risk and knowing what to test for and what conversation needs to be had. That's why we're asking. And so in relation to the men, women, both, the reason we ask that question is because based on the sex of the people that you're um, in relationships with, that could increase your risk for different things. If you're a man who has sex with men, that increases your risk of being exposed to HIV. That means we need to talk about those things more. Um, if you're you know, a woman who has sex with women, your risk of HIV is less. It doesn't mean that your risk is non-existent, um, but the risk is less. And so these are things that we need to weigh when you are talking about your sexual health. And of course, also conversations about birth control and protection yeah. vary with different types of, you know, partners and different types of sex. So all of that feeds into the conversation. Exactly. And to go back to what we were talking about for, before, excuse me, when we're talking about um, honesty is the best policy, it's also important that for the the men, women, both question, you also need to be having these conversations with your partner. It's not necessarily okay to assume who your partner is sexually active with currently or has been in the past. And not to harken back to seventh grade health class, but every you know, everybody that you everybody that your partner has slept with, you have also slept with. So you need to know these things so that we can appropriately assess your risk of contracting sexually transmitted infections um, to make sure that you're living your best healthy life. And, you know, women, especially we're thinking about African-American women and you, we talked, there used to be a lot of talk about men on the DL down low and, um, you know, men who have sex with men and aren't telling their partners, 
you need to ask if your partner has been with um, another woman, another man, just so you can kind of get an idea about your risk. So, yeah. Yeah. It's important for you to know um, the sexual history of your, of your partners. All right. And then another big aspect um, that kind of does a, that really helps guide our visits, especially in primary care and family medicine is for you to tell us where you are in your life um, and, and give us a, a, a better insight into what your goals are in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. If you're interested in getting pregnant, that's going to change the, the trajectory of our visit as opposed to you're not interested in getting pregnant right now, but you might consider it down the line versus I'm never, you know, not interested in getting pregnant at all. These are important um, life discussions that we need to have so that you and your provider can be on the same page. Absolutely. So, you know, we can transition from that, you know, talking about why we ask those questions. We ask those questions to get an idea about the risk of sexually transmitted infections, STIs. You might have heard in the past, people used to call these STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. We've now transitioned to call them STIs, sexually transmitted infections, because it's an infection. Most of these infections are temporary and can be treated, but not all of them are. Some of them are for life. Um, and so, you know, thinking about how can you protect yourself? Condoms, condoms, condoms. After abstinence, of course, because if you're not doing anything, can't get anything. But after that is condoms. So, Dr. Keisha, I would like to interject there real quickly about abstinence. Um, because a lot of times when I have people who come in and we talk about birth control, they, you know, a lot of times we talk about the most effective methods, things like that. And when we talk about most effective birth control message, methods, there's the like researched, like if you do things 100% correct rate, and then there's the actual physical, like tested on human beings, that percentage rate. And so abstinence works if, you, if you're doing abstinence correctly, which means you're not having any sexual intercourse at all. Once once this sex has occurred, abstinence is no longer an effective yeah. means of preventing pregnancy. Right. Okay. So yes, abstinence technically can work, um, but that is not the best way to promote because, you know, once you have sexual intercourse, abstinence, you can't call it abstinence anymore. You got to have other things in, in mind to protect you. Withdrawal is not abstinence. Kind of getting in the area close by, but not there is not abstinence. So you have to be real clear on what abstinence is. Um, oral sex and anal sex are not abstinence, right? Correct. While you may not get pregnant, you still can definitely get a sexually transmitted infection that way. So, you know, being really clear on what abstinence is. Condoms help prevent STIs and pregnancy, um, but nothing is 100%. Like Dr. Maya said, you know, there's use in a perfect world and then there's real-time usage. Um, and condoms prevent most things, they aren't so great actually in preventing HPV, human papillomavirus, unfortunately, which is what causes um, cervical cancer and warts and all of those types of things. Um, but there's a vaccine for that. So we want to encourage folks to get the HPV vaccine. If you haven't heard about it, I would highly encourage it. So um, women and girls can get the HPV vaccine starting as early as age nine. Usually we give it during the middle school visit. Um, and it used to be Women could get it up until age 26. Now they can get it up until age 40. And men can get it um, from age 9 to 26. So if you are in that age range and can get the HPV vaccine, I highly recommend it. Um, 
There's a lot of misinformation out there about the HPV vaccine, but I'm really excited about that. This is the only vaccine we have that prevents cancer. Um, and everybody's out there talking about what can we do for cancer? What can we do for cancer? The HPV vaccine. We can do that for cancer. So, um, Dr. Keisha, I absolutely agree with you on that. I have a ton of patients who come in um, and they're worried about the pap smear and the HPV. And I'm like, you know, there are things that we can do. If your current HPV is negative, let's go ahead and start the vaccine series to prevent you from getting the HPV vaccine so that, you know, you're decreasing your risk of developing cervical cancer and warts, things like that. Uh, you know, the preventive care aspect of things. And so I am of the generation where the vaccine came out after I was 26. And so I was kind of in that leeway range. And now they've extended the age up to 40 that you can get the vaccine. So everybody who was bummed that they couldn't get the HPV vaccine, now you can go ahead and get it yeah. up to age 40. Of course, they extended it right after I turned 40, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you're thinking about sexually transmitted infections, what should you be worried about, right? What should you be looking for? Um, for men, any sort of rash or discharge or redness or irritation, burning when you pee, all of those things should take you in to see your doc. You know, um, some things are really painful. For example, um, Herpes tends to have a rash that is painful, whereas syphilis has a rash that is not painful. So you can't just go by whether it hurts or doesn't hurt. If you've got something there that wasn't there last week, you should get it checked out. Same thing with women. Now, women, you may not typically won't see anything, often might just um, feel some burning or have a discharge that seems abnormal get it checked out. It could be a lot of things. Don't try to assume. If you've had a yeast infection before and it feels like a yeast infection, it's probably a yeast infection. But if it feels any different from that, has a different odor, has a different color, get in and get checked. Um, a lot of times, um, sometimes these infections can be silent. So it's still good, even if you're not having symptoms, but you are active, especially with multiple partners, to go in every so often, every six months, once a year to get checked for things because it can affect fertility in the future. So you want to make sure that you're getting checked if you're at risk because you're you know, having multiple partners. You want to make sure that you're getting checked out and things are all, uh, all as they should be. Absolutely. I would love to praise, give a high five, gold stars to anyone who's ever gone into their doctor's office and said, hey, I'm here for my annual checkup. I want to get annually screened for STIs or, you know, I'm getting ready to start a new relationship. And we both had this conversation and decided that we both were going to get checked for STIs before we engaged in sexual activity. I want to give high fives to all of those people. That's incredibly awesome that you care that much about your health, that you're willing to come in for what can sometimes be an awkward conversation, but to make sure that you're not exposed yourself um, to anything or that if you are that if you already have something that we can appropriately treat it so good for you and I would encourage everyone um, to start doing that um, and you know there are I think you know earlier we talked about risk and there are some things that people are at risk for at, at different ages you know younger people generally are at a higher risk of sexually transmitted infections especially if you're sleeping with multiple people um, the CDC recommends that everyone, once in their lifetime, be tested for HIV. So if that's never happened, you should, next time you go to your primary care doctor's office, say, hey, um, I've never been tested for HIV. Could we go ahead and do that test? Absolutely. And the thing with HIV, U equals U. And I just, had, I just learned this. Undetectable equals untransmittable, right? We could solve HIV 
in a matter of a few years if everybody knew their status. So if everybody was tested and everybody who knew they had HIV was treated for HIV to levels that got them undetectable, then there wouldn't be any new cases. And so it's really important to know your status. I've had people who tested, didn't have any current risk factors, you know, in their 40s, not really sexually active at the time and came up positive and they don't know when. It was probably several years prior, the last time they had been active, that they um, that they contracted the virus. And so really finding those folks, getting tested, getting treated and treatment for HIV. Oh, my goodness. It's so much better. You know, when I was going to school in the 90s, um, you know, people were dying left and right. The drug cocktails were awful. Now, most people are treated with one pill once a day. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I find my HIV patients easier to manage than my diabetics and, and folks with hypertension, um, which is really just amazing how <laughs> advanced we've become. And there's treatment to prevent you even contracting it. So if you haven't heard of PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So for folks who are at high risk, maybe they're in a relationship with somebody um, who has HIV or um, they're just, you know, active with multiple partners, there's a medicine that they can take that will help prevent them from getting HIV if they're exposed. So definitely have a conversation with your doctor about it. Um, And just, again, thinking about, you know, the highest risk right now, um, gay men and African-American women. So, you know, if you're in those high risk categories, um, even if you yourself are not highly active, the people that um, that you may be in relationship with could be. And so you want to be having those conversations with your partners and getting tested. Yeah. To piggyback off that, Dr. Keisha, I want to say that there I have heard of this mentality of HIV isn't a big deal anymore. I don't, you know, I don't need to use condoms because if I get HIV, I can take this pill once a day and it's fine and no big deal. And I would definitely disagree with that opinion um, and encourage everyone who might be exposed to definitely be considering PrEP to absolutely be using condoms with with each um sexual exposure um, because there's there's no reason to expose yourself to such a significant risk. It is still a serious disease. Um, and if we can prevent it, that is absolutely the way to go. Right. Just because it's easier to treat doesn't mean you want to go through the hassle of treating it. Speaking of testing, I don't know, Dr. Maya, if people actually know what it means to get tested for STIs. Um, Some people think they're getting tested and they're not. For example, ladies, a pap smear does not equal testing for STIs. Now, often they can check, but you may have to say something to your doctor. So if your doctor is assuming that you're in a monogamous relationship, your doctor may not check you for STIs. And so you want to ask specifically for them to check you during your pap. But some tests are on the pap smear. Some tests are like swabs. Some tests are blood tests. Sometimes they're urine tests. So you want to ask your doctor, um, HIV is a blood test or some can sometimes can also be done as an oral swab in the mouth. Um, there's some other tests that are by blood versus by swab. So that's just a conversation to have with your doctor to really say, did you check me for everything? Did you specifically check me for X, Y, or Z? Because it may not be included in just you know what you went in for. I have had um, a lot of patients who have come into me and we kind of talk about um, their partners and their risk. And they'll say things like, oh yeah, my partner recently just got tested and they're negative for everything. And I ask them, okay, what was everything? And they don't know, have an answer for that. 
Okay. So it's important to, when you're talking and discussing with someone about the risk and whether or not you're going to go out and get treat and get tested for sexually transmitted infections, it's important to also discuss what things you're going to be tested for. Okay. So some of the most common sexually transmitted infections like gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, trichomonas, HIV, um, herpes, things like that. Those are some of the most common. Now, when someone comes, hepatitis C is also a sexually transmitted infection. Um, and so depending on your, uh, on a patient's risk, I will decide which of those need to be tested for. Commonly in my practice, Dr. Keisha, I don't know if this is different for you, but in my practice, I generally don't test people for herpes. If a patient comes in and doesn't have a rash that is concerning to me for herpes, I will discuss it with them. But generally, herpes blood test is not on my screening panel for STDs, excuse me, STIs. And the reason for that is the way that herpes is transmitted is through skin-to-skin mucosal contact. If someone has it in their blood, they can't necessarily give you that infection. Um, and if there's no rash... There's nothing for me to really treat. And so a lot of times it might be positive and it gives people a lot of heartache and headache, um, but doesn't actually affect um, their day-to-day life. Yeah, I agree, Dr. Maya. I hardly ever check people for herpes unless they're specifically requesting it. Um, and because a lot of people come back from positive for herpes and actually have never had an outbreak, um, it's hard to differentiate. There's herpes type 1 and herpes type 2. One tends to be more labial, like lips, and one tends to be more genital, but it's not 100%. Most people got herpes from their grandmother when she gave them a kiss on the cheek when they were two years old and don't remember mm-hmm. it. And you know, both types can live in both areas and people get really worried about it but they've never had an outbreak. So um, unless you have a lesion, don't typically test for that. Yeah. And I, th- I think that a lot of this has been related to sexually activity, ex- excuse me, sexual activity risk. Um, but, you know, if I have a patient who is an IV drug user and there's potential that they could have been sharing needles, then sure, that increases, you know, my uh, suspicion for things like HIV and hepatitis C. Um, So I'm not necessarily checking for hepatitis C in every patient that I have, and I'm not also necessarily thinking about it only related to sexual activity. Mm -hmm. So these are the important things. Tell your doctor, be honest about your life so that we can, you know, figure out the best way to have you live a long, healthy life. So thank you for tuning in to the sisters. We'll see you now. Um, I hope, we hope, Dr. Keisha and myself hope that you will tune in for episode two, where we continue the sex talk and talk about what a good sex life looks like.